Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. you've ever tried to teach a group and you're not very far into it and all of a sudden you realize that at least one person, maybe more, knows a whole lot more on the subject than you do? Not very comforting sometimes. And imagine if it's in front of, say, a group of 12 and 13-year-olds. That happened to me a number of years ago. I was a Sunday school teacher for a group of girls. No, they were, they were mixed, boys and girls, ages uh, 12 and 13. One of them was Jane Moyer. I did send her a message on Messenger that I was going to be mentioning her name. That's Carla Shaw's younger sister. And I should not have been teaching that class, and I don't say that with any false humility. It was a different time of my life. So I was preparing the lessons week by week for Sunday. Jane knew her Bible. And every week, she had me running to try to find answers for her. And she never lost her faith. And she grew to be a beautiful Christian woman and a wife and a mother. But we can look at Jesus at the age of 12, just 12 years old. And his parents took him up to Jerusalem to the temple. And they were on the return trip, and it was, it was community. They were all traveling together. So they thought that Jesus was with family and, and neighbors. And then they realized he was not there. So they made their way back to Jerusalem and had to spend some time finding their son. And they found him, again 12 years old, in the temple, having deep theological discussions with the rabbis there. And the rabbis were the Jewish leaders, the pastors, the church leaders of the synagogue, the temple. And they were amazed at his knowledge and at his wisdom. So Jesus grew up from that in Nazareth in a Jewish home, and he was taught the scriptures, went regularly to the synagogue, and the, the teaching of the young boys, and it was the boys at that time, it was intense teaching. And they had to memorize what was called the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. I don't know about you. I'm not good at memorization of scripture. I love it when Paul says, somewhere in scripture it is written. That's my line. Because I can't memorize well and, and get chapter and verse. They had to memorize the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Have a look at that later. Word by word. And I couldn't help but smile and think of those rabbis teaching the 12-year-old, and as he got older, rabbis teaching the Son of God about God. But over the years, Jesus went faithfully to the synagogue, to his church. And the teaching would be very much about the, the Jewish, the, the religious laws, and they were strict laws. And then at about the age of 30, Jesus left home to begin his ministry. And so the last two weeks, we looked at how he went and he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And then he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And last week, we talked about his temptations there. And then what Hudson read for us this morning, verses 14 to 15, Jesus returned to Galilee and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and reports started to spread about him throughout the whole region and he started teaching in all their synagogues and he was praised by everyone. And from later verses we read that he was not only teaching, he was doing great, uh, great miracles and everyone was singing his praises. And then we find him in his hometown 
in Nazareth. He goes back home, his boyhood home, and we don't know if he spent a few days there, but we do know that on the Sabbath, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Each week here at Emmanuel, we have our order of service. I have it right in my hands through the whole service here Sunday morning. We get it into our planning center. We lay out what we feel should be taking place, who's going to do what. And believe it or not, we really try to know what we're doing by the time we get up here on a Sunday morning. The order of service in the Jewish synagogue was in three parts. Number one, they had worship and prayer. Then they had the scripture read, and it would be read in Hebrew. And it was from what we would call the Old Testament. Some call it the, the First Testament because, of course, the New Testament that we call it had not been written because the New Testament and on is about Jesus' life and teaching, his death, his resurrection, and the beginning of the church. So from that First Testament, they would have a reading in Hebrew, and they'd have a selection from the prophets, and they'd have a selection from that Torah, from one of those first five books. And the scripture reading would be translated into either Aramaic or Greek. And then the final part would be the teaching out of that scripture. And they didn't have every week a lead pastor per se, a lead rabbi. If someone were there who were distinguished, a distinguished guest, or someone that they felt was a good teacher, they would ask that person to do the teaching for the morning. And there would be a lot of interaction, not as I stand here and it's sort of one way. Uh, maybe we'll get to that, I'm not sure. But there would be a lot of interaction between the congregation and the, uh, and the teacher. So this Sabbath, Jesus is asked to be the teacher. And first of all, he stands up for the reading of the scripture. Because in the Jewish temples, there in the synagogues, there is so much respect for scripture. When I was at Mount St. Vincent, it was part of a class assignment, and I worked with a woman who was Jewish, so I went with her to her synagogue. And I hope I never forget the reverence that was shown to the, they had the scrolls, and they took them out of a big case, sort of like the ark type thing. But they had such reverence for that scripture and how they handled it. And I couldn't help but think of our Bibles and sometimes where they end up and how we handle them. So may we never lose a reverence for God's word. So they hand Jesus the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he unrolls it until he gets to these verses. And I'd like to read them again, because we're going to do just a short mini-series uh, over the next few weeks on these verses. And I often call them Jesus' mission statement. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then Jesus rolls up the scroll and hands it back to the attendant, and he sits down, not because he's finished, but at that time the, the teacher would sit to do the teaching. But everyone that Sabbath day must have taken a bit of an intake of breath because Jesus didn't finish the passage. He read about the good news, release for the captives, the blind to see, the oppressed to be set free, the time of the Lord's favor come. But he left out the last line. And with it, with the Lord's favor, the day of God's anger against their enemies. How could he have missed that? Everybody knew that passage. 
Jesus would have known that passage. He would have been taught it so well. The Lord's favor, yes, on us, but God's anger against our enemies. But still, they had heard such great things about Jesus' teaching. So as Luke records, all eyes in the synagogue were on Jesus intently. And they were not disappointed. They were impressed by him. When did Joseph's little boy get to be a speaker like this? But as they were looking at Jesus, what about Jesus? What was on his mind as he looked intently back at the people? What did the people need to hear? Very often when you have a guest speaker at a church, that speaker will be in touch with the lead pastor and will say, like, what, what do the people need to hear? And sometimes there's a boldness that a guest speaker can have because they say, well, we can leave and we can leave town, but you as a lead pastor have to get up the next Sunday morning and preach again. But Jesus knew these people. He had grown up with them. He knows what they need to hear. And he knows them well enough to say directly to them, I know what you're probably thinking. You want to say, physician, heal yourself. And by that you mean, do things for us. You know that I've been out there doing miracles in Capernaum, and you want me to do the same for you. And they were probably thinking, yes, that and a whole lot more for us. Question this morning, we are going to stop a few times as we work through scripture. What if Jesus had been the one here this morning reading that passage of scripture? What if he said to us this morning, I have come to bring good news to the poor? How many of us would have said, oh yes, good news. Good news for my life at last. Good news for my poorness, my poverty. When he read release for the captives and set the oppressed free, how many of us would say, yes, Jesus, please get me out from under all of these worries and struggles that are oppressing me? When he read the blind will see, how many of us would have said, oh, yes, I want to see. I can't see into tomorrow. I don't know how things are going to work out. Show me. And we would want answers for our church. How are you going to get us through this transitional period, Jesus? Would you work everything out? If Jesus were standing right here, and if he were to read that scripture and say, this has just been fulfilled, being totally honest, wouldn't we have our eyes on ourselves and wonder what he was going to do for us? But as much as the people of Nazareth and as much as we want Jesus to do things for us, the question begs to be asked, why? Why should he? And again, being honest, for the people of Nazareth, if they were asked that question, they would say, well, because you grew up here, Jesus. We are your people. We're your community. And then they would have had a few deeper reasons as well. Well, we are the Jews. We are the righteous, favored ones. We are God's chosen people. That's why. And if we ask the question of ourselves, why would we want Jesus? Why should he do things for us? Well, because we are Christians, Jesus. Look at the world around us. People rejecting you. Sunday after Sunday, just another day. People never entering the church door. We are your faithful followers. And then that last line. 
that line that Jesus left out, favor on us, but God's anger against our enemies. Would that line be important for us? Would we want to make sure that Jesus included that line when, if he were here reading scripture? For the people in Nazareth, they were under Roman rule, so for them, the Romans were the enemy. And surely they were God's enemy too, so God, deal with them with your anger. And for us, who would they be? Our enemies. People who hurt us? Our government? Trying to shut us down as Christians? So much wrong, so much crime, things happening around us that are a threat to us and our family. Would we want to say, deal with them, Lord? But Jesus doesn't say or do what they want or expect. He quotes scripture, and we think, well, a pastor can't go wrong quoting scripture. But Jesus goes to scripture that they don't want to be reminded of. And first he talks about Elijah, God's prophet, at a time when there was a great drought for three and a half years and the crops dried up and it was a severe famine. People were starving. And God sent his prophet Elijah to just one person. And that person was a widow in Sidon. Not to a righteous Jewish widow, but an unending supply for a Gentile non-Jewish woman and her son. And no such provision for anyone else, including the Israelites. And then it only gets worse. Jesus reminds them of Naaman. Naaman had leprosy, and lots of people were stricken with that disease of leprosy, including the Israelites. But the prophet Elisha this time only heals one. He heals Naaman, and he's a Syrian. And hearing this story, a Syrian, a foreigner, an army officer, while they are sitting there under Roman oppression and occupation, they can't listen to Jesus anymore. When they hear this, the people in the synagogue are furious and they jump up and they mob him and they force him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built and they intend to push him over and they would stone him to death and they did that. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright makes some interesting comments. He says, Jesus preached like a man inspired but what he said was the opposite of what they were expecting. If this was inspiration, they didn't want it. Israel's God was rescuing the wrong people. They wanted to say to Jesus, liberate us and pour out your wrath and your destruction on them. I couldn't come up with some good examples that would fit for all of us. So in our hearts and our minds, would you just think for a moment, if Jesus helped him or her or them, what name or names could you put there that would make you almost murderously angry? But that's Jesus. Grace and love and mercy and teaching and miracles for the people of Nazareth and for those that they hated and didn't think they deserved anything from God except his wrath and his, his destruction. That's Jesus. 
his grace, his love, his mercy, his teaching, his miracles for us and for those that we hate and don't think deserve anything from Jesus except his wrath and his discipline. We often miss the depth of the divisions in Jesus' day. We read about the Jews and the Gentiles, but it was a deep, deep division. And their hatred of the Romans, their hatred of sinners from the religious elite, hated tax collectors, and the religious elite and the leaders who were themselves oppressing the people, but they so looked down on the everyday person and on sinners. And even if you were sick, it, they felt that you were sinning and being punished out of God's favor. But don't we get caught in much that, of that today? The depth of racism, native and non-native, black and white, refugee families and resident Canadians, gender, sexual preferences, age, the young and the not so young anymore, and us who go to church and say we are Christians, and them. People who disagree with us say things and do things we don't want said and done. It's deep. But into that, Jesus has come to bring good news and release for captives and to help the blind see and to set the oppressed free. He has come to heal our divisions if, he, if we will let him. The more I sat with this this past week, I realized that Jesus wasn't telling them that they were all wrong. He was trying to help them understand that there was so much more. All those things that they felt they had a firm handle on, all those things that they thought they had all figured out about God, Jesus just wanted to turn it upside down and turn them upside down and their understanding of God and their understanding of God's love. How many times did Jesus, in all those years where he was there in the synagogue and he went regularly and he listened to the rabbis as they taught, how many times did he think, you're missing it? You're missing what God is all about. You're missing what it really means to love God and God's love and the big God and a God who is bigger than anything and anyone you could ever comprehend. And as I read and as I studied this passage, and I probably preached on it before, I've been quite overwhelmed this past week by what I've learned. So part of this is from me, not from the commentaries, but I pray that it is from God. I've read that story many times about Elijah providing for that widow. And I was widowed. And God provided for me. And he helped me and he brought me through. And I didn't deserve it. And really it makes no sense that God would do so much for just me. And I never had leprosy, but I've been healed. Small physical things, I've been fortunate, but emotionally and intellectually, mentally, spiritually, it's ongoing. I don't deserve that. It makes no sense that God would do that just for me. Sometimes I think we have to stop and realize that sometimes, yes, we are the one that God helps. And I think each and every one of us this morning could say, yes, God has helped us individually. That's the love of God. So if for you and if for me, then for everyone. 
And I believe that's what Jesus was trying to teach his hometown people that day. Yes, he's done it for you, but he's doing it for everyone as well. Everyone's included in that love of God. I believe that Jesus wants, wanted to ex expand the thinking and wanted to expand the hearts of his hometown community that Sabbath. And I believe that we've reached a time here where God wants to enlarge and expand your mind and my mind and our minds together. And I believe we've reached a time here that God wants to enlarge and expand your heart and my heart and our hearts together. And that is never to change our theology, our belief in Jesus. So please don't hear that for a moment. Jesus continued in the synagogue every Sabbath, as was his habit. And he worshipped and he studied the scripture with his people. And we believe in Jesus born and that he walked on this earth, showed us what God is all about, and he taught. And then he died for us and he rose again. And he's at God's right hand today, praying for us and interceding for us. But I believe he wants sometimes to tip us upside down, to make us aware in a different way, to expand our awareness, expand our understanding of prayer, expand our definition of healing, show us the enormity of God's love and lead us to experience the enormity of God's love for ourselves and for everyone. I have a friend, we've been emailing about some of this, and she calls it being God-smacked by God. And Hudson said this morning, being blown out of the water. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are beyond anything you could imagine. Do we believe that this morning? And God says, come. Come to me with your ears wide open and listen and you will find life where we come. If we do, I believe we are taking a huge risk if we ask God to enlarge our hearts and expand our minds and show us the something more that he has for us. I believe he will answer, and I believe that our lives and our church will be radically changed if we pray that prayer. And I need to tell you, I have to share it openly with you, I've taken that risk. I've asked God to expand my mind and to enlarge my heart to hear something more. And I have to admit for you, I'm holding my breath, I'm a little bit afraid. But will you do the same? And please don't answer too quickly or lightly. Ponder it. Pray into it. But my prayer is that you and I and we here at this church will take that risk together and experience God's wonderful, radical change of so much more for us and for everyone. Let's pray. Loving God, I do hold my breath in that. It's not about me. But your thoughts, your ways are so beyond anything that we can think or imagine. Give us the courage to pray for that. 
Give us the courage to ask you to expand and to enlarge our thinking, our hearts, our experience of being loved by you and loving others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.